0: On today's show, learn the millionaire mindset that completely changed my life. On today's show, I'm going to dive into the millionaire mindset and why it's so important in the HVAC business. Take it away, me. Very excited to have this opportunity to talk about the mindset, what I call the millionaire mindset. Uh, Sometimes I refer to it as the money brain. Because really what it is, is creating a mindset for prosperity, a mindset for abundance. And one of the things I'll tell you is that the most successful people, and I'm not only defining success by wealth, I can't stand when people say that, well, your family matters. Yeah, but we're not here talking about Dr. Phil stuff. I'm here to talk about your pocketbook, right? So obviously, money is not the only thing that matters. But when I'm talking about the mindset, I'm talking about the mindset to create wealth, the mindset to change your zip code, right? Whether you're owner, a manager, a comfort advisor, a service technician, or if you're a territory manager at at, uh, at Century, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is there is a mindset, a way of thinking, a way of looking at the world that attracts wealth. And I've lived it myself, and I've worked with thousands of other people who have lived it, and I've worked with some of the 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 most successful entrepreneurs and speakers and, you know, entertainers on the planet. And they'll all tell you it's about the mindset. And, you know, we got to be really careful because we're in an industry, quite frankly, that has very often a very skeptical, cynical, very scarce mindset. For some reason, I don't know exactly why it is in our industry, but we tend to have a mindset. I just uh, I'm rereading a wonderful book called Mindset by a woman named Carol Dweck. And in that book, she talks about, you know, the, uh, uh, the the set mindset and the growth mindset, right? And the growth mindset is a mindset that's looking for ways to improve, is looking for ways to grow, is looking for ways to improve the quality of life for ourselves and for those around us. And then you've got kind of the set mindset, right, That that's pretty rigid, doesn't change very much, sees the world through a very, very narrow lens, And a lot of it is skeptical, cynical, negative, and basically pessimistic, expecting the worst. So, as we have this conversation today, one of the things I hope to accomplish is that you will see the relationship between your mindset and your perspective on life and your bank account. Because when you understand there's a relationship, it's like, whoa, maybe I better get out of this fixed mindset. Maybe I better get out of this very limited mindset. Maybe I need to expand my horizons because the reality is with a fixed, narrow, skeptical, cynical, negative mindset, you're probably never going to achieve your true potential. It doesn't mean you won't have some success. Don't get me wrong because a person can be really talented and they can have a really bad attitude. If they're really talented, that talent will carry people a long way. I'm just saying if we want to reach our true potential, right, the maximum thing that we're capable of as an individual you got to have the right mindset to complement that talent. and That's what we're going to talk about today. Primarily, this book here on the right, The Power of Consistency, it's a New York Times, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and it really is all about the prosperity mindset. I've written a couple other books, including this one, Consistency Selling, which is kind of the, the process that we use when we're communicating to homeowners. But what we're going to talk about today primarily is this, th- this mindset, the book on the right here, The Power of Consistency, because the reality is, as you will learn through this discussion, The prosperity mindset is something that we can develop, right? You don't necessarily have to have it. You can develop it over time. And so if you have it, you're born with it, that's great. But if you aren't born with it and you want it, through the power of consistency process, we're going to show you how uh, to create that. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is based on this very classic book, Think and Grow Rich, written by Napoleon Hill. Uh, The book was published in 1937, and Napoleon Hill, there were people that wrote about uh, the millionaire mindset prior to Napoleon Hill in 1937, but Napoleon Hill in this book, Think and Grow Rich, really popularized the concept and really changed the lives of literally millions of people, like entire societies. Uh, If you're not familiar with Napoleon Hill, he was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie in uh, the early 1900s. And he went to Carnegie, and he was assigned the task of studying 500 of Carnegie's, you know, most successful friends, which included, you know, Henry Ford and J. Paul Getty and the Rockefellers and Woodrow Wilson and Thomas Edison. And, you know, he had a pretty, pretty smart group of friends, all of whom were extremely successful. But Carnegie was really interested. And by the way, if you're not familiar with Carnegie, he was the guy that was the giant steel magnate, built the railroads and the steel and the bridges and everything in this country a hundred years ago, many of which are still the same ones. We need to probably redo some of those. Another story for another day. But the reality is he was, you know, kind of consumed with this, this idea that why am I so successful? Why are my friends so successful? And so many other people are struggling. And of course, a lot of this was during the great depression. And uh, a lot of people were struggling because of the great depression. But even before that people, there was like this, you know, the haves and the have-nots, and he wanted to understand what was the difference between the haves and the have-nots, so he he commissioned Napoleon Hill and gave him access to his 500 most successful friends, and Napoleon Hill spent the next 20 years interviewing and studying those 500 people. Now, he didn't have, you know, uh, the communications and transportation that we have today, so it took a long time to interview these 500 people. He spent 20 years doing it, and at the end of that 20 years, he wrote this book, they can grow rich and really outlined what all these successful people really had in common. And what he learned more than anything, there were 17 different characteristics they had in common, but they all revolved around the same concept. And that is their mindset, the prosperity mindset, the millionaire mindset. And as Napoleon Hill mentioned, you know, more gold has been mined from this uh, from the book and from the mind of men than the earth itself, you know, because the real resource, the real resource for wealth is right here, and so this book, again published in 1937, uh, has had a tremendous impact on the world. If you haven't read it, I strongly suggest you pick it up. Uh, I, I really like it because he's, you know, writes old style, kind of, you know, kind of like uh, Emerson or Thoreau, one of those guys. Uh, but I like that old-fashioned kind of writing. But it's a mind. Changing and a life changing book. So that's what we're going to talk about today the prosperity mindset, the millionaire mindset. So, David mentioned that I'm a a contractor and I I am. I own an HVAC company here in Colorado Springs. I've owned half a dozen or so HVAC companies over the course of the last 20 years. And so, I think that's important with this group because one of the things I think that you should know, I hope you know, is that, you know, uh, I've in my writing and my speaking and working in a lot of different industries. Uh, I've had the privilege of working in industries from banking and transportation to shipping to communications to insurance, you name it. But this is where I come from. And I'm very proud of the fact that everything I know about making money, everything I know about building a business, everything I know about financial prosperity and financial success, I learned at the kitchen table sitting across from mom and pop homeowner, because that's like a laboratory of communications and sales and business and commerce, right? And so I come from this industry. I opened my first company in 2004. This letter right here is a letter I got from Inc. Magazine in 2009, reflecting that we had been selected as one of their fastest growing companies in America, privately held companies. So we were very proud of that. And that same year in 2009, I wrote this book, which was my first book, a little guy called The Upside of Fear. And this is the story of how I learned to create and to live the millionaire mindset. I had a life of poverty and struggle and difficulty, and when I learned this mindset, it changed everything in my life. Now, this book, the reason my life story is the subject matter of this book is not because of the financial success, although that's part of it. The reason that my life is the subject matter of this book is because just 18 months before I opened my first company in 2004, uh, which takes us back to January of 2003, in January of 2003, I was 39 years old. And I was broke and homeless. And when I tell you I was broke and homeless, that's not a metaphor. It's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It's just like straight up, I was broke and homeless. I had no home. I had no car. I had no money. I had no nothing. And in fact, uh, I was living in this uh, halfway house slash shelter here in Colorado Springs at 3808 North Nevada. And uh, that's kind of the condition of my life. Right, 39 years old, I don't have a car, no home, no furniture, no dog, no silverware. I got nothing. I had two sets of clothing that a buddy of mine sent me when I was living there. But what I did have by the time I got to 39 years old, by the time I got here, is I had stumbled into the prosperity mindset. And so, although I was in the shelter, like I knew I was going to have a lot of success and I was willing to accept my current circumstances because I knew I was on my way to building a fortune. Now, the reason I was in that shelter at 39 years old, as many of you may know, if you're familiar with my story, is I had just served 13 years in federal and state prison. From 1987 until 2003, that roughly 16 year span, I spent 13 years walking prison yards. I was a ninth grade high school dropout. Uh, When I was 23 years old, I pulled a gun on a couple of guys and uh, was uh, summarily arrested and prosecuted. And in 1987, I pled guilty and was sentenced to 10 years in the state penitentiary. In fact, the first place I went was that picture there on your left. And uh served about four and a half years and they cut me loose. I got out at 27 years old. And when I walked out of prison, I was still a ninth grade high school dropout, still a knucklehead. Now I was also a convicted felon. So I didn't see much opportunity for myself. And regrettably, looking back on my life now as an old man. Uh, unfortunately, I had started the process of defining myself as a convict. You know, I, I, I bought into the, the, uh, the labels that society was putting on me. And so it'll come as no great shock to you that I, I didn't make it. I made it about 18 months and I went back to prison a second time, this time for gun charges and parole violations. I got fortunate, only went back for a couple of years. Got out again at 30 years old. Now I'm a two-time convicted felon, ninth grade high school dropout. No skills, no education, no trade, no nothing. And uh, no big surprise, I didn't make it. I made it about 18 months again. I'd gotten a job doing some sketchy telemarketing with some, some guys I hooked up out in Las Vegas. And I made a lot of money in that year and a half until one day the feds came knocking. And uh, next thing I knew, I was indicted on federal money laundering and mail fraud charges around the telemarketing, illegal telemarketing that we were doing. And so in 2000, or excuse me, 1996, at 32 years old, I went back to prison the third time, this time for seven years in the federal joint. But it was during that seven years that I really had kind of the moment of clarity, the the epiphany that changed my life as a reflection of some things that happened and as a reflection of what I began to study and learn. So my life for 13 years, 16, 13 out of 16 years was prison, poverty, poverty. difficulty, struggle. And of course, today, my life looks much different, right? Much different. And I don't share this with you to to impress you. I I share it to impress upon you the power of the, the mindset, the millionaire mindset, because it's my mindset that changed. You know, I tell people, I didn't get any smarter. I damn sure didn't get any younger or better looking. I didn't get any luckier. I just changed how I thought. And when you change how you think, you change how you feel. When you change how you feel, you change what you do. And when you change what you do, you change what you get. Of course, this is what's really important to me in my life, my family, like many of you. Uh, this is my wife and my kids. And this is my life today. You know, so the question is, you know, how does your life go from this, you know, for, you know, up until I was 39 years old, you know, to this today? Well, it all changed on June 10, 1996. But what I can tell you is that it was the, the mindset that changed. And when that changed, everything changed with it. So I want to share with you kind of the events that led up to this realization and then talk to you specifically about what I learned, because my responsibility here today is to communicate what I learned to you. The reason I hope that's important to you is because if I can do my job here and I can share with you, you know, what I learned, how I did it, and I can communicate that to you in a way that's simple and effective, such that you can implement it in your life, imagine what the impact's going to be. I mean, stop and think about it. Imagine... What the impact of these things could be on your life because you're not starting in, uh, in prison, right? You you probably have a great job. You probably have a great family. You probably have a nice home. You're not walking out of prison into a shelter and starting from, from that place. So you've got a big jump on things already is my point. And if you can apply this, the, the, these things to your life, your life will be on freaking rocket fuel. Everything will change your relationships, your income, everything is going to get better. So what happened on June 10th of 1996? Well, let me just set the stage. In June 10th, 1996, I had already served about six and a half years in the state prison system uh, in Colorado. In 1996, in March of 96, I was indicted on the telemarketing charges, and I was in federal prison just starting that seven-year term. On June 10th, 1996, one of the cops walked in the cell house. He called me aside and said, Long, you need to call home. Your father just passed away. And so, very unexpectedly, at only fifty nine years old, I received the news that my father was gone. And I remember when I received the news that my dad was dead, the first thought that went through my brain was that Dad went to his grave with me in prison again, right? Like my dad left this planet with me in prison again and just knowing me as this this convict thug loser. And it really impacted me. and so. After that happened, I decided to change the course of my life. I remember talking to my dad one day before he passed away, obviously, and we were having a conversation. It was a Sunday. I'll never forget it. And we were on the phone and I was bellyaching and complaining about my life and all the misfortune and how the judges were out to get me and prosecutors and ex-wife and ex-wife's boyfriend and you know the informants and all this stuff and you know people who cut deals with the feds and just complaining about everybody, blaming everybody. And at one point in the conversation, my dad kind of got fed up with it. And he said, you know, son, your life could be worse. And I kind of laughed. I said, Dad, how in the world could my life be any worse? I'm a three-time loser, a ninth grade high school dropout, never had a career, job. I don't have any skills, never had a home of my own. In fact, the only thing I've managed to accomplish in my life was that on one of my trips out on parole, I fathered a son. So in 1996, this little guy was three and a half years old, and uh, I was back in prison. And abandoned my own flesh and blood. I said, dad, I'm not even a father to my own son. Like, how could my life be any worse? And my dad says to me, the words that really changed my life. He said, son, you're still breathing. And as long as you're breathing, you've got a shot to change your life. Now, I didn't understand how important those words are at that point in my life. And so I thanked my dad. I said, thanks, dad. But it was more of a thanks for nothing type of deal. Hung up the phone and uh, never talked to my father again. Turns out that was the last thing he ever said to me at least you're breathing and as long as you're breathing you've got a shot to change your life so two weeks later he was gone and those words began to echo through my brain and i made a real simple decision on june 10th of 1996 literally within a few hours of my father dying and that was to be a man my father could have been proud of and to be the father this little guy deserved right here and uh that was a decision that changed my life now i will tell you when i made that decision i really didn't know where to start So my master plan was to read about what other successful people did and do that, whatever that thing was, right? That was my master plan. So I went to uh, this big, it was a mock closet and that mock closet was a big box of books and uh, the cops would come in and just throw books in that box and donate them. And I'm going through that box trying to find something that might help me and I stumbled across a book many of you are probably familiar with, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, written by Dr. Stephen Covey. And I remember looking at that book, like the seven habits of highly effective people. Like if I could get one, maybe two, I'd be way better off, much less seven. Like let's just, you know, baby steps here. Let me just get one. Right. So I took that book back to myself and I read the book cover to cover and it just like blew me away. I remember one of the first things that Dr. Covey said in that book is that you have the ability in your life to live out of your imagination rather than your past. Now, that was a big deal for me because my past was violence, prison, poverty, incarceration. Right. But I had a very vivid imagination. I could imagine a much better life. And so it was such a relief. I remember thinking like, wow, successful people live out of their imagination. right?" So, you know, I I started doing that. I remember a a while after that, I stumbled into a a quote from a guy named Frederick Nietzsche. And Nietzsche said, we attract that which we fear. And I remember reading that, and I thought, well, that's just nonsense. Why would I attract the things I don't want in my life? You know, in other words, the things that I fear. And so I kind of blew it off. And then a couple of months later, I uh, was flipping through the pages of the Bible. I came across a scripture in Job, and Job says, Father, that which I have feared has come upon me. And, And then it hit me. It's like Nietzsche was an atheist. You know, Job was a godly man. They were separated by a couple of thousand years, you know, separated by philosophy and theology. But they were saying the same exact thing. We attract that which we fear. That which I have feared has come upon me. So I asked myself a simple question. I'm like, what do I fear the most? And so I sat down at the little metal desk in my cell and I wrote out what I feared the most. And it was living and dying in prison, never being a father to my son, being a loser, being broke my whole life. And I looked around and my life was a perfect reflection of my greatest fears. And it it occurred to me like, whoa, all the chaos in here, all the fear in here is getting out and creating my life. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I got to change the way that I think. Not long after that, I stumbled into Ralph Waldo Emerson's book. And uh, Emerson said, we attract that, or excuse me, we become what we think about all day long. So I'm like, okay, what do I think about all day long? I've been thinking about violence and, you know, all this craziness stuff for years and years. Let's start thinking about something else. So I sat down a little metal desk in my room, in my cell, and I wrote out what a perfect life for me would look like. I wrote out, I'm an awesome father to my son. I'm wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. I have a beautiful wife I can love and trust. I have a beautiful home in the mountains of Colorado. I just wrote out all this amazing stuff. Now, you know, I had a better chance of getting struck by lightning and winning the lottery in the same day than any of those things happening, but I was living out of my imagination. I was determined to live out of my imagination. And what I didn't know what was going on uh, is that I was changing the neurology in my brain. I'm gonna talk to you in a second about how that happened because I took that list and I put toothpaste on the back four corners and I stuck it to the wall on my cell. And there it was for the next seven years. And every morning when I would get up, I would read that list. Right. And I wouldn't just read it. I would like visualize it and get really connected to it every night before I went to bed. And what I didn't understand is that I was literally changing the neurology. I was changing my habitual thought process. And again, I didn't understand the neurology at that time. We'll talk about that in just a second, but that different thought process started triggering different emotions That started triggering different behaviors, and, of course, that triggered different results. So that's what I want to talk about exactly now what happened. Now you know how I got there, and I want to give you a brief kind of metaphor to understand what's going on in here. I call this life as a highway. When I say life as a highway, what I mean is imagine the highway system in your town right? I think you guys are in Houston, if I recall correctly, but, you know, Houston's this giant city or any big city, wherever you are, and you have this complex system of highways, overpasses, underpasses, bridges, you know, you have off ramps and on ramps and all these different loops. You've got this very, you know, complex series of highways. Now, if you look at those highways and watch them, what you will see is cars going down the highway, right? Now, in your brain, you have a series of highways as well. They're called neural pathways. And it's a very complex system of thought highways, right? So think about the overpasses, underpasses. You got all that up here. All these millions of neural pathways, they're kind of highways through your brain. But instead of having cars on the highways in your town, up here, you have thoughts on the highways of your brain. And so you've got these thoughts that run down the highways every single day. And very much like the traffic in your town, the traffic patterns and the thought patterns are very much the same. I mean, think about it for a second. We tend to think the same things every single day. You think the same things about money, same things about customers, same things about your family, same things about food, whatever. We think the same things over and over and over. And so we've got these cars running down these you know, highways in our brain, these neural pathways, and they're running the same patterns every single day, just like these highway traffic patterns. Now think about this. Think about the highways in your town. Let's say you want to go from your town and you want to go to Denver, right? There's a particular set of directions and highways that you need to follow to get to Denver, right? And if you follow that highway system, you follow those particular roads, how often do you get to Denver? Every single time. You never accidentally end up in, you know, Tampa Bay or something, right? If you follow the directions, the highways to Denver, you get to, high, you get to Denver 100% of the time. You never get to Tampa Bay accidentally. Well, in your brain, your thoughts are getting you to a particular destination every single time. And your habitual thoughts are getting you to the same destination every single time. In other words, your habitual thoughts get you to where you are. They're never going to accidentally get you somewhere else any more than the highways to Denver will accidentally get you to Tampa Bay. Doesn't work that way. You follow those directions, you follow those pathways, you get to a particular destination. In your brain, you follow those pathways and you get to a particular destination with your family, with your health, with your money, with whatever. Now, if I decide that I wanna go somewhere new, let's say you wanna go to Tampa Bay, guess what? You gotta follow a different set of directions. You gotta follow a different set of roads, correct? Well, in your life, if there's something new you want to create, there's something new you want to achieve, guess what you have to do? You have to follow a new series of neural pathways because the neural pathways you're following are getting you exactly where you are. I can't follow these pathways and expect to get over here. I can't follow the pathway that gets me to 50 grand a year and expect to get over here to 200 grand a year. If I'm going to get to 200 grand a year, guess what I got to do? I got to follow those neural pathways. It's a different set of habitual thoughts. Now, in your brain, you have the ability to build a new highway system. You have the ability to create new neural pathways because our brains are not you know, fixed like this piece of wood right here. Uh, our brains are what we call neuroplasticity, right? You can create new neural pathways in your brain. It takes the average adult about 30 days. This is why it takes about 30 days for something to become a habit, right? It takes about 30 days to grow a new neural pathway. So the key is, if you have to understand this first basic concept, that if I want to go over here and create something new in my life, I cannot do do that by following my existing set of habitual thoughts. My existing set of habitual thoughts are getting me right where I am, and if I want to go somewhere new, I got to create new neural pathways and start following those habitual thoughts. That's the key to success. The question then becomes, how do you do it? Awesome content right there, as always. Be sure to share this on Facebook. And if you're not a member, click the button below to get a 30-day free trial giving give you access to all of our amazing content. Well, that's our show for this week, folks. We'll see you soon. Until then, bye-bye for now.